that the quality of our inner life is our most important asset. When we clearly see that uh, unskillful habits of mind, unskillful mental states decrease the quality of our mind, it's just natural to want to let them go, to prevent them from happening again. Wise effort can be described as being the energy we put forth towards being free from suffering, free from, uh, towards peace. And as I mentioned yesterday, the teachings refer to four wise efforts, uh, pack, prevent, and abandon, which I'll speak about today. And Diana will speak about the next two, cultivate and keep. So the first two are about letting go, and the next two are about cultivating. And both those aspects um, help create the conditions of our mind uh, to, uh, to create the conditions for freedom to come, for freedom to arise. Um, the first right effort on preventing unskillful states, uh, to do that you need to know what an unskillful state is. Yeah, so it's helpful to know that. Um, all unskillful states have one thing in common, and that's clinging, attachment of some sort. Um, in Buddhist psychology, they talk about these uh, three deep roots we have, where all our unskillful qualities come from, all the unskillful states come from. And we call them greed, um, hatred or aversion, and delusion. And so, you know, greed's kind of a strong word, you know, and some people say, well, I don't want too much stuff, I'm not greedy. But greed really refers to the whole range of wanting, uh, from things that we may want from, um, uh, you know, we just, you know, we, we really want to get the right thing for dinner, you know. We want to get uh, uh, the little things every day, or, you know, that, are, that aren't that strong, or maybe we want status, or we're, we really want people to like us. Um, you know, lust envy, uh, all these kind of afflictive sides of wanting. And there's nothing wrong with wanting. You know, wanting's fine. Uh, it's only when we cling to it that it becomes an unskillful state. For instance, it's natural to want to eat. If we don't want to eat, humanity does not exist. You know, we, we definitely, that desire to eat is a very wholesome desire. But it's when we attach clinging to it, when we, you know, we go to the fridge and, you know, yeah, you want to eat, eat, and uh, someone ate all the food you had planned. <laughs> you know, do you, do you contract? Are you unhappy all of a sudden? Or do you just take it in stride? Do you let it go? So one is wanting, the other one is clinging. And it's very quick to go from one to the other. Um, you know, probably on retreat, you may have experienced, you know, um, you know, being in a nice warm bed in the morning, you know, and you're all cozy, and the bell rings, and you've got to get up, you know, and do you notice any resistance at that moment? Uh, how much resistance is there? Have you gone from being, oh, this is so nice, and this really, you know, uh, peaceful, you know, wonderful state, to, oh no, it's time, <laughs> time to get up. Uh, you know, so it's very quick, you know, or clinging, or habits of clinging to, uh, to getting what we want. 
Uh, so it's the whole range of, 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 of things that come from clinging to what we want. And in the same way, you know, hatred or aversion can be uh, attachment to not wanting things a certain way, pushing things away, and they can come from the slightest impatience, you know, that's taking a little too long. Have you stood in line and the person next to you takes so long to wash their hands? Or, or you know, these little irritations. Uh, you know, the, the um, noisy neighbor, the snoring person in the hall, do these little irritations. Or, or to really anger and hostility and all the, uh, the whole range of pushing things away that are the way they are. Um, and then delusion is um, is really kind of the um, can be described as as not being aware of what's going on within you. And so, for instance, often there's a lot of things that play in us that we're really not aware of. We're too distracted by other parts of our minds. We just don't don't really realize that. And some examples uh, might be like arrogance. Um, Righteousness, pride, conceit, but things like sleepiness. You know, often sleepiness happens because we're not paying very much attention. There's not a lot going on. And so we, you know, we just don't really know much what's happening. We just kind of fall into a sleepy state. Or sometimes a restless state, you know, where we just get very, uh, very restless. Um, So delusion is really just not really knowing what's happening in us. We don't know that we're wanting or not wanting. We're just kind of, you know, confused and, and just um, not really not really here in a certain way. Um, the defilements are painful, though a lot of the time we don't realize it, and that's what's really interesting about them. You know, what one aspect of them, like for instance, you know, when I was. Um, uh, in my early years, I was very politically active, you know, and most of my friends and I had something in common. We were all very uh, righteously indignant, you know. There was—it's not that the that that the cause we were fighting for wasn't just, but there was a real quality of righteous indignation. You know, we're better than others; it's us against them. It's a very divisive, very divisive type of uh, feeling. Uh, not really, not really looking for a solution as much as getting out of frustration and anger at at the enemy, and um, you know. So th- there was a pleasure, right, a feeling of power you get when you're angry. Um, you know, so it's very seductive that those feelings. But really, when when it really comes right down to it, you know, if if you kind of imagine what peace of mind feels like, it's nowhere near. Your righteous indignation. There's, you know, it separates us from other people. It separates us really from a big connection with ourselves. And then there's um, some very skillful states that happen to us uh, that hurt. They're painful, like sadness, you know, uh, the loss of someone. And feeling that sadness, a deep sadness, it's not a, it hurts, but it's not an unskillful state. It can be a very intimate state. Compassion, you know, uh, sitting with somebody who's ill and suffering, and, you know, a heart breaks for them. But we're very intimate, we're present, we're close. So skillful states can still hurt. You know, being at peace, ultimate happiness, does not mean that we don't experience human, human hurt, human pain. 
So mindfulness is the essential ingredient to to meeting these states and to really seeing them and to preventing them from arising. All All of our unskillful mental states are habits of mind. And the more we practice something, the stronger it gets. And so we need to look at, you know, uh, what are we practicing? So if you look at your own mind, like today, you know, a lot of you have had uh, moments that weren't all peaceful, right? You know, where you've had kind of repetitive patterns, repetitive things. So what were you practicing? You know, were you practicing worry? Were you practicing judgmentalness? Uh, Or were you practicing mindfulness? Were you practicing generosity? Were you practicing peace? So our habits of mind, we either support them and encourage them, or we uh, encourage skillful ones. Um, So one of the things that happens is, um, you know, when the mind uh, is, um, I guess we can call it when mind comes to neutral, you know, sometimes something, something good's happening, so your mind's like kind of really feels engaged with something good. And other times it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm managing something not, not helpful, not good, you know. And, and so you kind of come to this neutral place where, you know, there's nothing really attracting you and nothing really repelling you. It's just kind of a neutral place. And what happens in that neutral place? Your habits of mind take over. Like if you've ever had a habit like biting your nails, you know, uh, you'll notice if you're actively, you know, driving the car or, you know, you know, hammering something, fixing something, you're not biting your nails. It's in the neutral moment where you're not engaged that the biting the nails takes over. And the same thing happens with our minds. It's the moments when we're not engaged one way or the other, push or pull, that neutral state, that, that these habits of mind take over. And depending what they are, they can be really uh, uh, painful mental states or they can be really helpful mental states. Um, you know, some of them are, um, some of the, uh, like the obvious ones that are, that are painful, like worry and, um, and aversion and the like, those kind of states or ju- judgmentalness are very obviously unskillful. But fantasizing when you're here to meditate is unskillful. You can fantasize anywhere. You don't need to put yourself in this environment to spend uh, hours fantasizing. Not that I haven't done that. Um, you know, I've definitely done that on retreat. Uh, longer retreats, you know, I've, I've indulged in, in a fantasy. You know, when things were hard or, or, or had, was dealing with boredom or something, you know, I, you know, I'd just get caught in a fantasy. And it felt good. You know, it was very, very seductive, very attractive to just keep going back to the fantasy world, fantasy world. Um, but what you're doing when you when you fantasize and you think about the future, what am I going to do after the retreat? What, you know, oh, I'm going to plan this great vacation. I'm going to build this house. I'm going to, you know, what happens is you're strengthening the habit of the mind to fantasize. That's what we're doing. We're not becoming more mindful. We might be enjoying it, but we're not becoming more mindful. We're not strengthening the quality of the mind to be present in our lives right now. You know, I just want to make sure it's clear. It doesn't mean that planning uh, 
like planning a future, planning, uh, you know, uh, creating something. It's, it can be a very wonderful thing to do. And it can be a very pleasurable thing to do. It's just to do it at the right time. A lot of things as you do at the right time, you know, then they're productive and they're helpful. Um, but, you know, we're here to free the mind. And that's the, that's the point of this practice. We're here for insight. We're here for being with ourselves, deeply with ourselves now, not about our planning our futures. In Buddhist teachings, we refer to six senses. You know, the five uh, basic senses of, uh, you know, sight, hearing, smelling, taste, touch. And then the sixth sense is the mind, um, which includes like all the memories and and fantasies, all the things that show up in the mind. And um, uh, preventing unskillful mental states is being alert to what comes in through those sense doors. And so one way to think about it is like, let's go through the senses just a little bit, you know, to really, really connect with what it is to be alert there. For instance, um, um, <clears throat> all experience is going to be either pleasant or unpleasant, as I said, you know, um, or, or neutral, neither pleasant or unpleasant. When we don't notice it, it's very easy to get caught. Um, for instance, um, let's say you're, you're meditating at home and your neighbor starts a chainsaw right in the middle of your meditation. You know? And so what happens? What happens? So we get unpleasant sound coming in through the sense doors of, of the ear. We get this unpleasant sound and maybe for mindful we say, hearing, hearing, unpleasant. And we notice it. We notice, oh, that's unpleasant. Or we go, that neighbor, you know, and, you know, um, he's ruining my meditation. How could he do this this time of day? And, and you know, I'm going to, you know, go scream at him, you know. Uh, or however we, we get caught in our own fantasies, in our own lives. Um, so, you know, it's that door of mindfulness, you know, that really lets us really take in, you know, this is what's happening right now. It's sound. And it's unpleasant, yes. And we don't have to add anything extra. And that's really the, the art of mindfulness, is to see things as they are without adding the reaction, the, the, the pushing it away, the having to do something about it. It doesn't mean that there aren't appropriate times to, do, to act on things, but it's really about our inner quality in our minds. Um, and we can get caught just as much by pleasant sounds, right? Pleasant, um, you know, I, I was um, listening to a Dharma talk on my retreat, you know, and it was just, I was so inspired. It was this fantastic talk. I was like really, really glued, you know. And I go, oh, wow, I really wish my husband was here to hear it. And, you know, and then I started thinking about... Um, oh, I wonder if I can get a recording of this. I wonder how I can, you know, um, who should I contact? And I spent like five minutes trying to figure out how I was going to get a copy of this talk. And I missed a whole bunch of the talk because I was just caught by this uh, wanting to save it, wanting to keep it. Um, And it's so easy to just, you know, our habits of mind are so right there. It's good, I want more of it. It's bad, 
get rid of it. You know, we're just like little machines and uh, conditioned machines. And so the practice just starts to decondition us, slows us down. Ah, we have a choice here. We don't have to grab it. We have a choice. Um, some of us get caught by some senses more than others. You know, I, I've, um, I've, I remember being at the um, Bryce National Forest, National, National Monument, I think it's called. And it's this amazing uh, place in the desert where there's like all these uh, beautiful multicolored uh, outcroppings of rock that look like beings, these huge beings. I mean, it's quite something. And, you know, and I was just really um, uh, kind of stunned by the beauty, just watching it. And then I kind of glanced to my side and there were at least 50 people taking pictures, you know, and, um, and it was like, I actually stopped automatically taking pictures that day <laughs> because it's like, it didn't seem like anybody was enjoying it. They were just all into capturing it for, um, you know, to get it online or whatever they were, they were doing. Um, you know, so, so we get caught, you know, by wanting to keep what's beautiful and we, we can't keep. You know, we can't grab that sunset and keep it. You know, it doesn't matter if we, you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's not, it's not a good thing to take a beautiful picture, you know, it, that, that's great. But, but it's that tendency to just, you know, are we leaning forward into the beauty and trying to somehow grab it? Or are we letting it, ah, that's beautiful, and, and watch it come and watch it go. Watch the sun set and go away. Let it go away. Do we let it go away? Um, the sense of smell, you know, um, a story that, um, that, that, uh, that I like is a friend of mine, you know, was on a, uh, he was on a really long retreat and, and, um, he was sitting next to someone and he just smelled stinky feet, you know? And so he just kind of kept looking at his neighbor, you know, it's like, you know, God, I wish you'd shower next day, same thing, all day, just stinky feet, stinky feet. And finally, the third day, he was just so disgusted. He just went to his room and meditated. And he sat down to meditate, oops, stinky feet. <laughs> and, um, you know, but all this aversion, all this uh, kind of hostility towards his neighbor, all this stuff, all, you know, just, oh, smell unpleasant. That's all it is. And we can add so much story to it. We can add so much meaning to it and so much, uh, and support that aversion, support that. Um, You know, touch, you know, taking a shower. I mean, I've, how often have I stayed in a shower? There's a water shortage and, and the water feels so good. Oh, just one more minute, you know. And, you know, knowing that it's not quite the right thing to do, you know, it's a, it's a drought, you know. Uh, but just that one more minute of pleasure, you know, that clinging to that minute, you know. So we all get caught in these different ways. And so really being alert to these senses, you know, are... Um, are, you know, that, like, like one of the images of mindfulness is like a gatekeeper at a gate, you know, and they, they see everything that comes in and out, in and out. And so mindfulness can be that gatekeeper, you know, so the sense comes in um, and we see it clearly and we don't have to get caught, 
You know, they, they're the gatekeeper. Um, and then the mind, the mind has a full realm of things we get caught by, right? Um, the sixth sense, or the, our thoughts can be pleasant or unpleasant. And sometimes we don't realize that the thinking process itself can be pleasant. I mean, have you ever just enjoyed thinking? You know, I mean, I've really enjoyed planning. It can be a lot of fun. Um, but I've also had, spent a lot of time thinking in a way that was really not fun. You know, that's uh, afflictive. That's, and, and just spent really tons of time, you know, thinking bad things about myself, negative things, and, and judging and, or about other people, and just kind of hanging out in this realm of thought, you know. Um, you know, or memories, you know, are they, you know, sometimes <coughs> we go to painful memories and just dwell on them. You know, not in a healthy way, but in a, in a dwelling, you know, kind of beating ourselves up with those memories. You know, look what I did, I was such an idiot, etc. you know, and, and uh, or, or we can get into that, as I mentioned, with fantasies. Um, so, you know, f- being alert, you know, uh, to prevent ourselves from getting caught. So, which brings us to the second right effort, which is once we get caught. And, you know, for myself at least, I don't know how it is for most of you, I spend much more of my first day on retreat letting go than preventing. Um, I find myself, I usually find myself on the first day of retreat much more easily caught uh, before I even get to the point of being able to see before I get caught. <laughs> so, for me, the, um, in a way, I should teach this first. <laughs> Um, excuse me. So, you know, abandoning unskillful states that have already arisen. So that's the second wise effort, to abandon what's our, when we get caught. To, how do we let go of that? And one of the things to recognize is that we get caught at different levels of intensity. Like some things we get caught, caught by a little bit, and some things we get caught by a lot. You know, like for instance, a little bit, um, um, you know, w- one day, it was like right after retreat, you know, and, and both my husband and I had set this retreat, and, and we came home the next day, and I was like very happily making myself this uh, fresh cup of coffee. And he came up to me, and uh, in a way that only my husband can do, and he took my cup just as I made it, and he took it away. He says, you can't have any. And, um, you know, it's something he would normally do. You know, my first, my first thought was, I was startled that he would do that. The second thought was, I'm going to get that coffee no matter what. <laughs> you know, I saw that just strong clinging to that cup of coffee arise, really solid. And then I looked at his face, and then, you know, the whole thing dissipated. It just made me laugh, you know. So the cling was there. It arose really strong. But... It also didn't have a lot of stay-putness, you know. So some clinging just kind of, it's light like that. It's light. We, we're, we're attached to it, but it's, it's not, um, we're not holding on to like with dear life. <laughs> um, there's other things that we cling to, you know, like resentments about people, you know. Um, 
you know, I've worked with resentment at times where, you know, somebody, um, it's, it's so interesting, you know, it's like I remember somebody who hurt my feelings when I was in high school. 20 years later, I still disliked that person, you know, and then I heard about them, you know, and I still had this resentment from like 20 years before, like something inside me had just kind of kept it, like really solid, you know. They were, I wasn't about to let that go, you know. It really took a lot of, um, you know, uh, a lot of compassion towards myself to be able to free that up. One of the things that's, um, what we do in this practice when we're caught by pain, clinging is painful, how whatever it is we attach to, there's a certain level of pain in it, a certain level of unhappiness to it. And when it shows up, we, we primarily approach it by turning towards it. We turn towards the difficult in this practice. We turn towards our challenges in this practice. We don't try to get rid of them. We turn towards them. We try to get to know them. And we only get to know these challenges by being friendly towards them. We don't tend to get to know our enemies really well. We're much more interested in our friends. And so when we see the, this process of clinging, you know, um, we don't make it wrong. It's not like this moral deficit in us. It's a conditioning. It's conditioning. It's just like, uh, um, you know, um, you know, they talk about Pavlov's dogs. I, I, I don't know, most of you, you know, probably have heard this, but, you know, he trained his dogs by, he would ring a bell and feed them. You know, day after day, he would ring a bell and feed them. And lo, be, lo and behold, he would ring a bell and they would salivate. You didn't have to feed them. You could just ring the bell and they'd salivate. And that's exactly what our minds are like. That's exactly how they work. You know, we just react. We just respond the way we've been conditioned. And so when we see it that way, um, you know, we can take the morality out of it. You know, the, you know, yeah, I get angry when this happens. When somebody um, criticizes me, I get really angry. Um, you know, yes, that's my conditioning. That's my condition. It's not a morally, a moral failing on my part. It's my conditioning, and it's much more easy to let go of something that we that we recognize as our conditioning than just some deep failure within ourselves. Something, you know, deep within us. You know, that's just flawed or wrong. No, it's our conditioning, and when we begin to see that, it allows us to uh, to hold it a lot with a lot more lightness, a lot more willingness to explore it, to look at it, to turn towards it. To me it's ironic that the first thing you do to abandon an unskillful state is to say yes to it. <laughs> so we let it go by saying yes, it's okay that you're here. You know, and through that turning towards it, saying yes, it's okay you're here, then we, we can begin to soften the hold it has on us. to say a couple of things about pain since it's something that um, has been brought up a few times today already. Um, uh, when we have pain, 
often what happens is we don't like it, right? I mean, I don't know, very few people really like pain. Um, and what happens is, you know, pain is made up of a bunch of sensations. And when we don't like pain, we tend to push it away to resist it. And what a lot of us do is, uh, when we have pain, we think we're being mindful of the pain, while most of our energy is actually resisting the pain. And so it can be really helpful to turn away from, from the sensations of pain to the resistance of the pain at that point. Because, you know, we say, um, as Diana, you know, talked about mindfulness of the body, we turn towards compelling physical experience, but we also turn towards compelling uh, reactions to that experience. And so we can have pain, but our resistance is the bigger picture. And so if we're resisting pain, we're, um, you know, if you pay attention to your body when you're not liking pain, there's tension, there's certain feelings in the body. Uh, and, and how does the mind feel when you're resisting pain? You know, it's kind of, is it dark? Is it contracted? How does, what's the flavor in the mind of a mind that's resisting? It's definitely not, you know, it's, it's not angry, it's not sad, it's not happy. There's a flavor it has when it's resisting. So feel that flavor, feel the way the body is, explore the resistance, and then when that kind of goes away, maybe the pain, you, you focus on the, the sensations of the pain. So it's a little bit of a dance in how we, how we work with pain. Um, Shinzen Young, um, who's a, a Dharma teacher who uh, really inspired me in working with pain, um, and he had a formula that I've always loved. It's pain times resistance equals suffering. You know, so, you know, we all have pain, whether it's physical or emotional. Same thing can happen with emotional pain. You know, we, we have some emotional pain and then we hate it, you know. So really what's happening is the hate, the pushing it away. That's what we focus on. You know, we make that the object of meditation. We keep turning towards, what, towards the difficult, towards the challenge. So one of the things that uh, when I first started really, really focusing on this idea of letting go was I remember um, I was really angry at someone, you know, and I was just really, just couldn't get off it, you know. And, you know, I'd go, okay, let go. Let go. It's not letting go, <laughs> you know. I, you know, it's like sometimes we're just not ready to let go, you know. And what I learned um, is that we can incline the mind to let go. And that's enough. And it's one of the things to honor in ourselves that sometimes some of our clinging, it's, it, it's, it's so deep. We can only begin to nudge it in the right direction. And uh, one way to think about it is, uh, you know, have you ever um, gone to bed at night? You know, you, you need to get up at five in the morning and you set the clock, but you get up like right before the clock goes off. You know, that, you know, that's always happened to me. I would always, something in my mind uh, would set the seat, I know, just went to get up. And in the same way, when we incline the mind, um, like one example, I remember um, 
getting to an argument with my husband, you know, and, and I was on this path already and really wanting to work with this. And, you know, I was like angry and I really, you know, I didn't want to get off it, you know, you know, when you're like right, you know, and you're just kind of clinging to being right, you know, and, and, you know, and I saw myself and I saw the quality of my emotion, the, all that. And I said, well, I really don't want to let go, but, but, I trust that I will want, I, I do want to let go on some level, and I'm, and I'm going to go in that direction. And so it's like I didn't force myself to calm down, to, I didn't have to force anything. I just kind of said, okay, that's where I want to go. That's the direction I really want to go, even though I don't feel like it. That's the direction. And just gradually that kind of took shape. It, it did its thing. Uh, but it wasn't something that I forced myself to let go in that moment. I couldn't. It wasn't hap- wouldn't happen in that moment, but I set the seed in motion by recognizing, yes, that's really, I want, I want freedom, I want peace. I don't want to have a conflictive relationship like this. I want to have a peaceful relationship. And so I set the seed in motion. Um, you know, sometimes we just really need patience with ourselves, patience with, with our conditioning. So one of the things, you know, just like I, I mentioned that if we, um, if we practice being critical of people, we become much better being critical of people. And so if we practice being grateful, we become much more grateful, becomes more the natural way that our minds are. And, um, you know, and I think that's what Diana will be talking a lot more about tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> So unless we're completely liberated, um, the art is to respond to these unskillful mental states with kindness, with compassion, and with patience. And when we do that, we already weaken their pull. We already weaken their hold on us. So one other kind of... um, a couple of other small points I want to make. One of them is um, about unpleasant effort. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I realized, um, I used to run. And um, when I ran, I used to uh, I used to go really early in the morning, like, uh, you know, still dark out. And the winter would be really cold, you know, and kind of hurt to breathe a little bit. And, you know, my first, uh, probably my first 10 minutes, my legs felt like lead, um, you know, and, but I was really committed, you know, and, and so the effort I put out, I really wanted to do this, so, so the 10 minutes of really unpleasant effort, uh, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden it would finally, the unpleasantness would go away, and after about another 10 minutes, I'd start really enjoying it, you know, I'd hit this, my endorphins would kick in, and it'd be wonderful. Yeah, and I loved it, uh, you know, but I, I recognized that that beginning, that effort, first getting out of, you know, getting outside and it was cold like that, you know, it was hard. Um, it has this unpleasant uh, quality. And, um, and I noticed that, that when I did projects, like, I, you know, I, I tend to do like these big projects in my life, you know, that are just kind of uh, uh, 
they're, they take a long time and, and, you know, and the beginning would always feel hard for me. It was like a lot of effort. I'd get really stressed and tense because they were hard to start. But once kind of got into the groove of it, then it, then it was fun, then it was easy. Um, and the reason I point those two things out is that the same thing can happen in meditation, that when we initially apply effort, like when we're sleepy, for instance, that effort can feel unpleasant. A lot of times, just bringing our attention up when our attention isn't readily there can feel a little bit unpleasant. And so a lot of us don't, you know, we don't want to apply ourselves because that initial effort feels unpleasant. And so when you begin to really see that, that the quality of that effort, you know, if, if it's unpleasant, that it actually will go away after a little bit. That that unpleasantness just comes and goes. It's just another passing, another passing sensation. And so notice that, you know, if you're struggling with sleepiness or struggling with restlessness, that if you just stay with it, with that effort, that the effort starts getting easier and more pleasant and more, more comfortable. Um, so that beginning of effort, you know, is an area where we can easily get caught and not apply ourselves. So, and, and lastly, I'm going to talk about um, effortless effort. So, wise effort, when we apply wise effort, we let go, we, uh, you know, we prevent uh, unskillful states. Um, effort can become really easeful. Um, we can have a relaxed, steady effort. I mean, if, if you run, you're enjoying the running, you're putting out effort, that's effort. Uh, you know, if you didn't put out effort, you, you'd just stand still. Um, you know, or with anything, you know, there's effort in, in making music, effort in dancing. But it's a, it's a, uh, when you're really there, you're really present, um, it's a really relaxed, joyous effort. And the same thing in meditation, you know, when meditation, when the effort is just right, just uh, the meditation is really peaceful and joyful and, and satisfying and it feels good. You know, so there's a, a point, you know, with, with all these practices, anything we practice, as we apply effort, you know, we um, apply the, um, like if you think of hammering, you know, you know, you can hammer really hard and smash what you're doing, or you hammer too gently and you don't get the nail in. Um, you know, again, or you look at a dancer dancing and, and they're putting out so much effort, they're tense, they don't look so good. You know, whereas if you're, when they're really, really there and they're putting out just the right amount of effort, they flow, it's beautiful. And in the same thing in meditation, you know, uh, just the balance of effort, finding that, that really sweet balance where the effort is, is, isn't too tight and it's not too loose. Um, you know, and that only happens when our effort is free of craving. You know, one of the things, um, you know, I remember this, this one meditation I had once where I was uh, uh, really, um, 
I just went very deep into this really, really blissful place. And, you know, I was on retreat and, and I, there was like this little alcove that I was in. And then somebody just reached across me about an inches from my face to open a window right in the middle of this, you know, and completely took me out of it, you know. And, uh, and so then I really wanted to get there again. You know, and I just get applying so much effort to get there, you know, trying so hard. And, and the more I tried, the harder it was to get into a, into, to get into a, a peaceful place. You know, so, so again, how is our effort? Our effort has to have this, this quality of, of uh, gentleness, this quality of strength, kind of both strength and gentleness together. Um, runners often call it the zone, you know, but, but I think the zone, uh, you know, it's the point where you're, you're just not working anymore. It's just a state where you're just running, you're just running and it's, it's wonderful and you just doesn't feel like effort, effortless effort. And it happens in any art, in anything we get good at, uh, where we get, you know, we just get right absorbed into what we're doing and, and the effort just flows. Um, and, you know, I th- one of the things that epitomizes, you know, um, I don't know if you've, um, I've spoken about this before, but there's these um, uh, Buddhist marathon monks of Japan. I don't know if, how many of you have heard of them, but they're, um, uh, it's considered one of the most demanding physical and mental challenges that anybody can do. And it's a, like a thousand day challenge. And what they do is they do uh, one 100-day, let's say, 100-day daily marathon for 70 years. So every year they do 100 days of a marathon a day. And then the last year they do 200 days. But the first 50, the first uh, um, 100 days are 50 miles a day instead of your 26. So it's really intense, you know, and, and they also do it wearing these huge hats that somehow, I'm not sure where that enters into it, but, um, and um, so I was really fascinated by that, you know, and um, so I, I was read the interview of the, the only 46 people in 130 years have gone through this, and so the last person, the last monk who did this, you know, um, you know several years ago, um, was interviewed, and um, you know he's incredibly humble. I, I just loved that he was just so. It was so not personal for him to do this. It was just very, very, uh, very, very humble, you know. And uh, but really, what what uh, got my attention? He said, you know, people say, "How did you do this? This has to be so incredibly challenging on the body." And he said, "Well, at any given moment, I made sure that anything that I didn't need was completely relaxed." You know, and, and, you know, that's really mindfulness, you know, that we don't add anything extra, nothing extra, nothing unneeded, just only what we need. And that's really how we apply effort, wise effort. Um, so may you all continue to choose, skillful, make skillful choices in your efforts. So thank you. <laughs>